Hello, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 29 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast, where we take a deep dive into a random film chosen by our guest host. Today we are joined by Ellis Barthop, who has decided that this episode we will be talking about the good, the bad and the ugly. So Ellis, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Aww. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I uh, co-host a podcast as well called Talk About with Ellis and Gwillem, where it is primarily a film podcast also. I mean, our episodes are a lot less structured than uh, your guys are. We, <laughs> we, we go off on tangent after tangent. It's, it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, but yeah, just absolutely love film. We, we do some TV and music episodes too. So that's my passion. And alongside that, I, I run a, a film review blog. So reviewing uh, uh, recent films that have come out and, and things like that. So yeah. Oh, fabulous. And why did you pick this film? When... Gary sent over this cinematic classics. I was really like, wow, what is, I, I spent much longer than I needed to, I think, thinking about <laughs> what is a cinematic classic? What is what do I class as that? And instantly I just thought of an older film. I just thought an older film is why I associate with that word classic. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought you just don't get much more cinematic in feel, in style, in genre than The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. I mean, that trilogy of the Dollars films that Sergio Leone made, all of them are great, but this one is brilliant. Um, yeah. And it's that climatic moment. I'm sure we'll get into that. But that is just just always sticks with me as one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. So No, absolutely. I think as well, Gary, you and I have discussed like cinematic classics and what we think that means and... In my head, that's where I kind of went as well. I went for more kind of older classic films, like old Hollywood. I think as well, I think you can almost judge a cinematic classic with, if someone's heard of it and has not seen it, it's usually a classic. Mm -hmm. In in a weird way, because like it's so well known. Even if you haven't seen the film, you know know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the like the visuals of it was playing into my head as well. So mm-hmm. I played around with Finding Nemo a lot as an option, just because visually oh, it's yay. incredible. Um, and I think it will, as time goes by, it will be seen even more as a classic, as so many Pixar films will. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I went for this in the end. So No, absolutely. And Ellis, what would you rate the film out of 10? I, I mean, for me, it's a straight 10. I, I That was the other thing I was conscious of as well. I was like, I'm not going to pick anything that I don't think is a full 10 out of 10. So, yeah, it's a full 10 out of, uh, out of 10 for me. Lovely. Gary, what would you rate it? Well, look, there's two kinds of people in this world, right? Oh, no. There's those that like Westerns oh, and those no. that don't. <laughs> abort, uh, Gary, abort. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Westerns in general, but when... I've got to actually go now, so I'll, I'll speak to you in a bit. <laughs> Yeah, let's go else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as you can't not watch this film and see why it's so epic, and so I'm going to go for an eight out of ten. That's from someone that's not a fan of westerns. I like films that use western storylines and western traits. You know, like mm. uh, El Camino is basically like a western. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's like modern. So I and I like stuff that takes sort of inspiration from it. So for that. In a way, I do like westerns, but 
no cowboys is just it just doesn't do it for me so that's my fault not the films <laughs> sure <laughs> that's your issues gary you need to come to mm-hmm. terms with. <laughs> <laughs> um well i gave it a nine out of ten and a bit like what you said um ellis it's just such i mean it's such a classic um and a lot of nostalgia there as well sorry i was just going to ask like did like any of you like parents or maybe family members yeah. introduce you to these films yes see i never had that so it's interesting that i just i've always kind of veered away from it because it was never yeah. introduced mm-hmm. into my childhood or anything this would be a film that would be on like a sunday afternoon or like a morning into like late afternoon kind of film of like up there with films like um like ben-hur like cleopatra like that kind of scale of Sunday afternoon movies, and yeah. the reason you watch them in the afternoon is because they are so long. <laughs> they are. They are. I, 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 in a similar vein, my dad was is a big fan of westerns. He still he still loves them, but it was it was the kind of thing that is on the telly. You sit down and you just start yeah. watching it. And actually, Gary, as a rule, like westerns as a genre, it's not my favourite genre. No, I just think this is so clearly the best of a of a, of the bunch. I think that's mm-hmm. why I picked. That's part of the reason why I picked it as well is because it stands out to me for that reason. So. We're going to convert him by the end of this, Ellis. It's not going to be an issue. Yeah, it'll be a straight 10 out of 10. <laughs> I'll be watching it every day. <laughs> and for our listeners at home, here is a little synopsis. During the American Civil War, Tuco and Blondie have known each other for some time now, having used the reward on Tuco's head as a way of earning money. They come across a dying man, Bill Carson, who tells them of a treasure in gold coins. Now rivals, the two men have good reason to keep each other alive. The third man, Angel Eyes, hears of the gold stash and the three men set off to find the $200,000 and the buried gold coins. So, let's get started. The good. The bad. The ugly. The answers. The showdown. all of you listeners know we will now each go around picking three positive points on the film gary would you like to go first of course of course i see a running trend here (laughs) (laughs) i just like to give you a chance (laughs) Um, so watching this film obviously it's called the good and the bad and the ugly and that is three main characters but i was trying to work out who for me whose story is it it's got to be tuco for me the ugly Mm. um He's the underdog in every situation that he encounters, basically. Um, and he steals the show. The actor completely steals the show for me. He's the one that's facing all the obstacles, except for when he drags Blondie out into the, the desert. But mm-hmm. in a way, he's almost bullied by Blondie. Like, the way he holds the bounty over his head and it's saying, like, um, 
they're, they're discussing if the you know the equal split should change and stuff like that and he's like mm. well remember it's me that's your life's in my hands basically but he's also a villain obviously you hear the extremely long list of crimes that he's committed and you kind of want him to get away with it at the end and mm. Like, I don't know if it is because like Blondie almost gets the upper hand in every situation and Blondie doesn't really face any challenges except for that walk in the desert. So your main character usually has obstacles and Tugel's got them. But if you think of everything he goes through, he escapes the desert, then he goes after his nemesis who left him for dead. He gets arrested and beaten by Angel's, Angel Eyes' henchmen. He breaks out of custody uh, by escaping a train. He gets arrested again by the army. He works out a plan with Blondie to blow up the bridge and then there's that, obviously, standoff at the end and I don't feel like any other character goes through as much as him. So that's why you want him to get away with it and I think it's his journey that we're following and the other characters almost dipping in and out of that. Yeah, I, def- I definitely see where you're coming from there. I thought Tuco was... It, it, he just is the leading character throughout. Um, and you spend most time with him as well, I think. You, you yeah. have more to... I think in the other ones, obviously, they've established the two films before this, um, A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More. They've established Clint Eastwood's The Man With No Name. They've kind of got him. And then I feel like in this one, although I think it works brilliantly as a standalone film, you do... I think the film always half expects you to think, yeah, this guy's a badass. We know what he's about. He's just going to come in now and, and be... He almost is, like you say, Gary, he almost does kind of take a villain role. Even though you see the ugly... Um, Tuco as the villainous character the way he is the actual mm-hmm. way that the film's set up he's the protagonist and I I do kind of feel that Clint Eastwood is the antagonist that kind of gets away in the end isn't he like that yeah is... yeah totally yeah it's the ugly character arc is just like you go through phases of when he is trailing Blondie through that desert you're like oh I hate you so much <laughs> You know, you're like you're listening to him laughing, and you're like it, it's making you feel uncomfortable, and mm. um, you really want Blondie to like you know just get his own back on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then this that interaction that he has with his brother that kind of comes out of nowhere. You're like, it was so touching, and that bit where they're um, leaving um, on the search for the gold, and they're in the carriage. And um, you see that little exchange the good has where, you know, he offers him his um, cigarette or cigar, whatever it is. Um, And you see that moment of, like, in his face where the ugly is actually feeling, like, quite um, sad, you know, about the relationship he has with his brother and how he wasn't there for the passing of his parents. And you go, like, through a variation. It's such a magnificent arc where you're totally changing all the time, whether you're yeah. liking him or really hating his guts. <laughs> yeah. Because I think the Italian title, it was Il Bruto, was his, um, was the ugliest translation, which I think literally translates to gross. I was doing a bit of research yeah. before. And I think there is something about him that's a bit gross and a bit dirty Repulsive. almost. And it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, so to be able to write a story where you do actually kind of want to root for him in the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he's literally got the noose around his neck at the end, you are yeah. rooting for him. You, you're like, come on, I want, I want him to get out of here. So I think it's really good story writing to be able to to have a character at the start that you're like, I don't like this character. And by the end, you're actually rooting for the guy. Mm-hmm. 
And I think as well it's interesting because he is the only character in this film where you see a part of their family or the place where they've came from. Mm. And that's something you would usually do with a main character. The only difference is Tuchel, um doesn't redeem himself in any way. Be- yeah. Like There's no redeeming factor at the end. There's yeah. no character arc. He's still going to be that person at the end. Well, I, I think he will be... Um, you know, he's still going to be that thug. He's still going to rob and steal. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's learned anything by the end of it that's going to change him. No, no. We also, like, it's his um, almost title card of the ugly that comes up first. It's him we're introduced to more, like, in, in more depth first. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely some, the way it's planned out, that although you're meant to think that it's the man with no names film um clinton eastwood's film it's not mm-hmm. it, it's 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 two goes. yeah yeah um what would you say your first positive point is ellis um i've got to say the score i think it's i mean the yes i think what's weird about this film is you associate the obviously the most famous the you associate that with the that Mexican was standoff. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was going to do my own version, but you've stole the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always associate that with the standoff between the three of them, but that mm. actually doesn't play in the standoff at all. No. It's it's afterwards, and mm. obviously so many times before. But mm. Ennio Morricone's score the whole way through is absolutely exceptional. Yeah, um, and I think that's why Tarantino. It, it's it scores like this that then Tarantino went on to use Ennio Morricone, I think for Hateful Eight and Inglorious Bastards. Kill Bill, I think as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, and I think him going on to do that. I mean, Tarantino's a. Uh, I'm a big fan of of Tarantino's work, um, and I think just the music alone and how mm-hmm. sporadic it is and how it will just be like literally three seconds of a piece of music that they <laughs> use for a bit and and it's just does so much and changes the yeah. scene so much. Um, so my first point would be how absolutely brilliant the, the score is. Yeah, I've, I've got that point as well, just how iconic it is and how, like, I don't want to say simple, that's not what I mean, but, like, it's it's kind of like what they did with Jaws. Like, the minute you hear that mm. theme tune, you're like, I know exactly what this is. It's instantly recognisable. It sets the tone. And that's what this music does with this film like it's just amazing and also like how it there's variations of it as well and I don't know if that is just you kind of going oh it's different because we're at a different part of the film or if the music has actually been changed up or not but it seems to have variations of that music throughout the film at different points I I absolutely love the music when Tuco is searching the gravestones for the name Mm. And that with the disorientating camera work. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's, yeah, it just so good. It, it blends together so well. And with a film that has got these extremely wide angled shots and these epic scales, the music has to match that as well. And it totally does. And it's another thing, it makes it a cinematic classic. So, for instance, um, my partner, she had watched The Good and the Bad and the Ugly and thought it was a, a gangster film. But she had heard of it. And when right. I was watching it for this podcast, she actually, she heard the music and she was like, oh, is that what that's from? So yeah, had no idea what the film was about, but knew the music. Yeah, and yeah, I think sure. that says something alone. It yeah. is used so many times in so many other 
forms and films yeah. and programs and things as well. It's just amazing to see it and it's true original. <laughs> this is well, where it happens. Well, we've been on this film blog that I run, um, me and someone else who, who writes for it, a, a friend, we've been trying to work out the most iconic movie scenes. And a section we talk about in these battles is how much you can reference the scene. Mm-hmm. And for this one, we were like, it was the climatic scene, the, the famous Mexican standoff. We were like, there's not really any spoken words in that moment, but everyone references that piece of music. Even like Gary said, yeah. even if you've not seen the film, you know that piece of music and, and yeah. know how brilliantly iconic it is. There was another bit of music that stood out to me that when, when watching it again, and it's when Tuco is being beaten up by angel eyes and his, yes. his guys, and there's <clears throat> the violin playing outside. And that juxtaposition of, of having... Just having the, the the it almost calm and soft music outside, and then it being so tense inside. The way they flip between there, it works so so yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's very like grim, isn't it? It's really got this tone of mm. being quite melancholy. Of they all know what's happening inside that cabin. Sure. Yeah. And quite eerie, isn't it? Yeah. Again, it just added like a different kind of tone to mm, the film definitely. really didn't it? it just added a different layer of making it really quite sad and eerie and um ugly <laughs> I yeah suppose. yeah well, the, <laughs> the sound in general is really interesting because obviously it's overdubbed but it's still those three american the, the american actors that are in the film they're overdubbing themselves so it's yeah. so strange because they filmed it all silently um and then over i i just find it fascinating and i read mm-hmm. an age a couple of years ago now and I don't know how true it is, and I can never find more. But apparently, there's rumours that Ennio Morricone made loads of the gun sounds with his mouth. He just oh, worked wow. out he could make. He's he, he was he was in an interview apparently, and he said he said I just one day I went cow, and I was like, oh, that sounded really cool. It sounded like a gunshot, unlike mine that I just did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I just think it's fascinating. There's loads of really cool bits with the sound that they've clearly experimented with for the film. Mm-hmm. No, just what you're saying there about. Um, the violin playing outside, and then this really grim, these really grim visuals inside. Like again, that's inspired more cinema where you get like you know, some sort of like I don't know torture scene, then it's like yeah. overlapped with like classical music, and it just yeah, gives yeah. this weird sense of off. Like you just it just feels off, and it makes you feel a bit awkward watching it, and it it works so well. It's mm. what they do in um. But they do that in Reservoir Dogs again, Tarantino. Yes. yes of yeah. um, spoiler, if anyone hasn't seen Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> um, the bit you know stuck in the middle with you while he's like tearing the ear off of the police officer. Incredible it's, scene. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> <laughs> We're just, I mean, both of us, me especially, are, are obsessed with Tarantino. Just, <laughs> and it's mainly because of everything behind behind what he puts into his films Mm -hmm. so like death proof is my possibly my least favorite tarantino film but what he actually does behind the scenes is arguably the most interesting all the all the research he did everything that went into making that film and how much he knows about cinema i'm just fascinated by it he's Mm -hmm. a he's a weird and crazy dude but Mm -hmm. i think he's i think he's just really really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um okay i'll jump on to my next point which is basically just Mm -hmm the good, the bad and the ugly as characters yeah. and I find them really interesting because they're three isolated men 
who all travel alone, live by their own individual rules, and they've got their own morals, but they only move forward in their goals when working with each other. Yeah. But only ever two at a time. Because if the three of them were like in the same room, they would, they would kill each other, which is then brings you to the final scene in the film. But they only give each other small pieces of information any more than that, and they themselves become useless and therefore dead. It's really interesting that you never really see the three of them in the same room. Mm. Uh, I think you do maybe just when they're, uh, when they're arrested. I think there's this scene outside, like, no, yeah. as Angel yeah, Eyes yeah. appears. I think that is it. But he doesn't even like interact with Blondie in that scene, I don't think. No. But it's also interesting that Blondie is called the good because we start off with him committing these scams. And the only <laughs> real good that you actually see him do, the only real good deed is when he gives that dying soldier the puff of his cigar and covers yeah. him with his jacket. That's only and it's interesting because there's a term called saving the cat, which is basically when your main character commits a good deed at the start so that you immediately sympathise with them. But this good deed is so close to the end. But it's like yeah. maybe it is again because it is part of the trilogy. Um mm. but the bad his entrance is great when he walks in and he just starts eating yeah. the other guy's food. And it brings this intimidating presence with him without any dialogue. This is mm, a now definitely. I think it's like ten or eleven minutes into the film and there's been no dialogue. Yeah. That's and, really powerful, isn't it? Yeah. But my question is, is Angel Eyes is he completely evil? Should he be called the bad? Because he only really shoots people for money or people that's a threat to him. He doesn't kill anyone who's like vulnerable or he kills the guy's kids, Gary. But only because he will... <laughs> no, he kills. He does it. He leaves. He leaves the other ones. He only. Oh, okay, so the... he kills one kid. But the kid goes to it's fire upon better. him. The kid... No, I'm going to. I'm going to stick to my guns. <laughs> pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to stick to my guns because the kid opens fire or goes to open fire on him. So he, he's basically saving himself. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at um, like MD that's not in the game is not playing a cowboy, I guess. Like he doesn't really, he doesn't touch them. Whereas you've got Tuco. Is Tuco more evil than Angel Eyes because he's stealing from anyone and he seems to be killing anyone. And I think it's as we've already said, it's Tuco sets the bar for like future villains that we kind of love to hate mm. and not Angel Eyes. I think I think it's quite interesting that they're called the good, the bad, and the ugly because I think it's basically saying. And I think that's maybe why they do the title cards telling you who's the good, who's the bad, who's the ugly so early on. I think it's almost saying, telling an audience this is who these three roles are. So then we just, in our heads, are like, okay, well, he's the good guy, he's the bad guy, he's somewhere in between. Whereas actually, if they didn't have those titles, would we associate it like that? Would we root for Tuco more? I don't know. I think it's just the way the film maps its characters to make it look like in shape. Um that Angel Eyes is the villain, is the bad. I think mm-hmm. they just map it that way. If we were, if we spent more time with him, because we spend much less time with him than we do the other two, I yeah. think if we spent more time with him, maybe we'd root for him, maybe we'd like him. But I think what he doesn't have in his favour is that he just does look evil, doesn't he? I mean, yeah. he's got the sharp eyebrows and facial hair and Amazing. his eyes are really squinted all the time, aren't they? So mm-hmm. he just does look evil. Yeah, mm. I think as well, like how the 
like their morals, I think, and just how they do act. So again, like going to the ugly, like visually as well, like, you know, he's like got holes in his boots and stuff, doesn't he? And like that cackle that he has and yeah. um how he kind of tortures Blondie with the water and like putting his foot in and stuff is like again as an audience member you're like oh this is really like quite repulsive but I couldn't picture like the good or the um bad doing that the bad is very much like I don't have any emotion about doing it he doesn't seem to have like when he, when he's killing it's for money or it's because someone yeah. gets in his way and he doesn't seem to take pleasure in it whereas yeah. Tuchel takes all the pleasure exactly. in torturing yeah. uh, Blondie. Tuchel does give up the information mm. and then you have that exchange later on with um, the bad and the good and the bad's like, um, there's no point in me doing anything that I, doing the things I did to Tuchel to you, like, there's no point, is there, because you won't give up any information and he goes, no. Mm. So again, it's like kind of knowing and questioning like this whole kind of moral thing of that's maybe why the good would be perceived as good because he would never cave. He would keep yeah. it to the very end. But we know that ugly would sell out. I don't know. It's it's. I know what you're saying. I guess as well, not to be disrespectful, but he's always going to be labelled as the ugly if he's next to Clint Eastwood. I mean, of, it, well, it, anyone he, he already <laughs> he already had a tough job, didn't he? So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I think it would be interesting. Well, you could picture this film being made now and. A director now would probably not have the title cards and then you could see it like in the, the reviews and the, the Q&As after it. So who is the good, the bad and the ugly? And the director would be like, well, that's up to you to decide. You know, <laughs> whereas it's like, you can picture that with a, like, a modern director. Um, yeah, yeah. It's up to you as an audience member who you think is what. But yeah, yeah. for this, like, it, it doesn't. But it's interesting, again, with Clint Eastwood's character because at the end, he obviously lets Tuchel go. He teases mm-hmm. him and teases him and then obviously shoots the rope. And is that part of it? Like, he won't kill a man. Like, he should be brought to trial and caught rather than just be, yeah. be hung by Clint Eastwood. But yeah. in a way, the whole end scene is that they're falling away pointless. Yeah. In a way as well. Because yeah. he, he does all that to him to then shoot it. And is, it, is, is, it, is he saying something there? Like, I'll always win. I think mm. as well, like, maybe... Because, again, it's mirroring what they were both doing, like the little business agreement that they had of, like, okay, you're going to do this, I'm going to save you. I, I don't know, I, I kind of took it off, like, although it was, like, a big tease, it was almost like a little message of, if you ever need anything, <laughs> I'll always, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I can be there to help if you need it. Mm. Um, it was, like, a little bit of an alliance. That, that's why, like, a glimmer of an alliance. Yeah. <laughs> um well, but, Other than just saying, I'll always have your back, he needs to My girlfriend was in the room for part of when I was watching it. She's never seen the film before, but she, as soon as Clint Eastwood came on screen, when she was in the room, she was like, oh, well, he's the good then, right? And yeah. the, same with the same with the ugly, same with the bad. I think the way they look, not just in looks and the way they've been done out makeup-wise, hair-wise, mm-hmm. but also their costumes as well. Yeah. There is something so rough about um, Tuco's costume yeah. uh, compared to Clint Eastwood's compared to you know pressed iron shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> there is a real difference so yeah I I, I think it's it's like we said it, it's that sort of they, they want you to kind of 
they do want you to kind of work instead of working it out like like you said gary like modern films would now it's like no these are who we want you to believe are the good the bad and the ugly and yeah. then i mm-hmm. think that leaves more room to analyze like like we're doing are yeah. they actually those roles you know i guess as well like it, it's questioning humanity itself like if we want to go really deep here like uh, uh an example of that you know like the film the pixar film inside out <laughs> where they've got all the different kind of, you know, anger, joy, that kind of thing. And they learn at the end of the film that we all need a bit of everything to kind of get through this. And we are human and we all have moments of that. Mm. And I guess in a way, like, as if it was, the film was kind of mirroring that idea of we've all got a bit bad, good and ugly. And it's like separating those and what we would think that they would look like, Yeah, you know? Yeah, oh, that's that's a really good point because all of them have good, bad, and ugly things about them, don't they? Like, let's, you know, even Clint Eastwood's character is not a good person, like by any means. He's an anti-hero that you know. <laughs> so, I think the three of them together, it, it, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is splitting something that everybody has about them. Everybody has things they like about themselves, don't, and things that they almost really don't. Uh, there's, I think, like the bad is kind of by trait. And ugly is maybe by visual and by things like that, by like literal specific meanings. But splitting them out, it, it almost makes you, It I think it's intentionally making you think about these things more, which yeah. I think is really clever, especially for a film of the 60s. I mean, it's quite forward thinking in a lot of ways. I think as well, the fact that you can't, they're called the good, the bad and the ugly and good, bad and ugly compared to what? And you need to take the, I guess you need to take this the time that it's set in, uh, the world that they're living in, and what they need to do as men to survive this hostile world. It's savage. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I'm a good guy in relation to the world that I'm living in and what I need to do to survive. Sure. Or I'm bad and, and I've became bad and I'm now a bounty hunter to survive. And so, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah it's like the three of them are on their own kind of, mission because none of them are like you know believing in this war that's happening like we know that obviously the bad disguises himself because he's just trying to find bill carson but none of them are actually like there for the cause they're that's just kind of going on secondary to it which i always which i kind of found was quite funny that the three of them don't have any strong <laughs> opinions on it they just want the gold and that's yeah, it. yeah sure. yeah yeah <laughs> And I think that's part of it, isn't it? It's so simple. It's like we said about the music. It's something that's so simple but so effective that it's three blokes who want some money. It's essentially yeah. the concept. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, what's your second point, Ellis? Um, I, it, it's the style. It's the stylistic choices that are made. That I mean, I'm probably going to... Ref- we should probably have a counter on how many times I re- said, talk about Tarantino. But um, <laughs> it's it's the stylistic choices like the title cards coming up of the good, the bad and the ugly telling you who they are. It's the zoom ins on characters. It's the long shots. Um, all stuff like that. I mean, there's a bit when Tuco literally aims the gun at the camera. Uh, and then I think it's a, like a match action shot to a cannon outside blowing off or something. It, it, it's something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or like there's bits with a shaky cam, a handheld cam that, that work really well as well so it's all these stylistic choices that not only still epitomize the western genre but also almost make Sergio Leone an auteur in some ways because he's he's got these things that now people remember him by 
and I think it's so obvious watching this. Here's here's Tarantino. Here he comes. It's so obvious watching this that Quentin Tarantino has watched these films and gone. Yeah. That I'm going to use that. I'm going to take 100%. that. I'm going to, you know. So, yeah, I think it. I, I think just how stylistic and how how it's done and it those themes, those choices that he's made before run throughout the whole film. So that yeah, mm-hmm. that's my second point is how much I just love that. That he actually pushes like those wide shots to the max. Like oh, obviously yeah. the westerns were originally known for like you know going from these wide shots to the, the close ups and stuff. But like the time, the the streets look so wide that, that it takes ca- characters almost a minute to cross the the screen. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't cut, and it, that makes it feel more natural in a way. But also, yeah. it makes everything seem huge, and it just does build onto that epic scale. You know, definitely seeing this vast land as well with just small, uh, small towns and stuff like that, or like using these white shots to show the the damage that this war is causing on like buildings and like again it just showing you this hostile environment that these yeah. people are trying to survive in i think that's really what how they do that and how it affects the depiction of war because war is definitely taking a back seat in the whole film like yeah. it's definitely just a almost second narrative that's happening and you do see how it affects each of them you have that really actually quite to start with quite nice bit and quite um emotional bit almost when the bad um angel eyes goes in and sees all these dead bodies and yeah and it is sort of reminiscent of the war and the music that's playing is very very i don't know the word but almost reflective on battles and soldiers and and yeah. it's very brassy um mm-hmm. and i think those that that actually going back as well to that point of is the bad that bad that's the only real moment we have for any character of like quite a sentimental moment really yeah um and he's meant to be the bad so yeah i think that what you say about the war and how you see the damage you're also seeing it to the characters as well um because it is just it is there and the film does keep reminding you that it's there without pushing it in the forefront yeah i really like that moment as well because you know he shows up and he sees um, the wounded, that kind of moment in his face of like, oh my, my goodness, this is a shame, isn't it? This is just terrible. And then it yeah. followed up by, so do you know where I can find Bill Carson? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. He's looking for this guy to get the money. <laughs> it's just like a nice gentle reminder. Yeah. But yeah, because the really film does just moment. segue off and go and do other things for about an hour, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you're exactly right, Rebecca, that it, it does kind of like remind you that this is where we're at. This is actually what the end of the film is going to be about, just to Absolutely. slide it in there. Yeah, yeah. And again, like that moment with Tuco and um, Blondie on the carriage, like I said earlier, where, you know, he's just had that um, interaction with his brother and everything, and he's coming to terms with what that all meant. Now we've had that, let's go and find the gold then, shall we? <laughs> It's just again like a moment, moments that kind of take you out of what the overall journey of the film is meant to be. Sure, like yeah. little moments. It's nice. I think as well, Rebecca. You are right. The the one thing that for three characters that are so drastically different, there's like two things that connects them. One is their goal to find the money, but the other is the the hate of this war. Yeah. And yeah, and they're looking at it from different points of view, I guess, as well, which is is quite interesting. And 
like just that that part where they blow up the bridge, like they're doing it for different reasons. Like Tuco does not agree with the war, but he's not blowing that bridge up for any reason but to help his goal and get the money. Whereas I feel yeah. like Blondie, it will help his journey to getting the money, but he knows it'll also help these soldiers yeah. that are stuck there. Absolutely, because we kind of have that little moment of when they show up and um, the captain's like, why are you here? And the good has like a moment of what we're going to see. And the ugly almost kind of takes a bit of a role reversal of, it's okay, I'm going to take care of it. We're here to enlist. And they're like, "Uh, that's not what I would have said, but okay. And the captain offers them the the alcohol, whatever it is, the whiskey, I don't know. Um, And, you know, the good just takes a little sip of it. And the ugly takes like a proper chug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was like, it's like an uncomfortable moment. It's good to kind of see a bit of a flip side of the good feeling a little bit shaken. Um, I actually wonder if from that, it's just made me think, I wonder if it's the good, the bad and the ugly is more, it's how they commit their crimes. So the way mm-hmm. the good does it, he's almost quite respectful in some ways and he's yeah. quite smart with the way he executes his kills, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> in a sadistic way of putting it. Um, whereas the bad is just, he will do whatever it takes to make sure he's okay, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Gary, about when he kills that one kid, it's he's protecting his back and it, that's what he's got to do. So he's done it in a bad way. Whereas the ugly, anything he does, any sort of crimes he commits, anything he does really is quite gross grotesque really and a bit filthy to watch um a bit Mm -hmm. horrible so i don't know maybe that's part of it as well maybe i'm just looking into it way too much (laughs) no no i I think as well um what rebecca was saying about even just how they drink the alcohol right says a lot about their character and it's, Mm. it's great to visually show something about character rather than say so um like that part where blondie does just like sip it and uh, to go chucks it down his throat basically and yeah. you can see Blondie is like looking about trying to get a feel for the situation whereas Tuko's now just having a good old drink you yeah. know? and it just yeah. shows yeah. you the different way thing. and Tuko's running his mouth whereas Blondie's silent and working out silently how he's going to get out of this situation. Yeah being very observant. Mm-hmm. Well my second point would be the humour it's so simple yet so effective like mistaking the colour of the uniform is just like such a laugh out loud moment of when they get closer and you're like oh no (laughs) (laughs) they've made a mistake and you totally your heart sinks with them as well because you're like oh no it's just dust (laughs) that's the wrong the wrong team like as well like the note that the bad leaves for them that's like you know calling them idiots and um, the the good silently reads it, and the ugly's like reading it out loud and going, "What's that word?" And he's like, "It's idiots." And he's like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> it's, yeah, um, did you not say? Oh, it must be it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny and just like really kind of witty. And again, like just to again when we we're talking about that moment of you know the music playing outside while uh, the ugly's getting beat up. It's those kind of like little comic relief moments as well where it's quite tongue-in-cheek and quite witty and, um, mm. like I said, just so simple. Like when they are thinking about how we're going to get rid of that bridge because they just, they're just they just going to keep fighting on it all day and we need to get rid of it 
and they're leaning on the boxes of explosives. I think there's a bit as well where they're carrying over the explosives towards the bridge and there's people stretching the wounded soldiers out mm. and uh, they've got the explosives on a stretcher. <laughs> and, um, they're like, they pretend to lower it as if they're about to help some wounded person and like they're running by and then they're like, okay, let's carry on and just pick it up as if just pretending that's what they were doing with the stretcher. Like it's a really dark, grim joke but again it just makes you laugh of like nah they're not interested (laughs) to just get on with the hunt for the gold well it's quite satirical isn't it of the western genre it's taking the mick a little bit taking everything a little bit further with like an emphasis on violence as well as the humor so i think it is in places a bit tongue-in-cheek in in a really good way um Mm -hmm. eh? because westerns often are and i think I, I, yeah, I think this is absolutely brilliant for that reason. Like, like you said, Rebecca, it's the humor is so almost knowing how sure they are of take being able to yeah. take Mick themselves as a film. I think, in, in in a way, especially with the stretcher moment. Yeah, like as well when um, Douglas, you know, saying to the good, right, hang, like, put that noose around you and stuff, and then at that exact time, the cannon has like shot into. <laughs> the building and yeah, he drops yeah. on the floor and then the goods away and like the moment in the bath like it's just like it's so silly um but again like just really effective yeah i think three of my best moments in this film were some uh, were comedy and so one of them was the the, the bathtub shootout basically <laughs> Yeah. Where he's yeah. got the gun in the bath, and it's the fact there's bubbles in the bath that made that. I know. Even yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the scene with the the army coming towards them and they are covered in dust, like that for me was a laugh out loud moment. Yeah. But also, what clever writing! Mm-hmm. Just to come up with that that small little concept, and when Tuko, you don't know it at this point, which is really clever writing when you don't know that. Tuko and Blondie are working together and you think he's actually like, you know, arresting him to take him in to claim the bounty and he drops him outside tied up and then goes in and then comes back out with one of the other like sheriffs or something and mm-hmm. I think Tuko has a line it's like, oh, one bastard goes in and two more come out and he's just <laughs> very fast with yeah, all yeah. this humour. It's really, really clever, yeah. Because yeah. some of it is a very, I know it's American, but almost an English wit in like it's quite dry it's quite which isn't necessarily a humor that is transcendent of italian you know the 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 jokes probably wouldn't work both sides of things um so i don't know i i I feel like there's some bits that were maybe overdubbed and the jokes were maybe changed a little bit and i know as well that i I was reading that sergio leone the director couldn't speak a word of english so he never actually had a direct conversation with clint eastwood he was always going through someone else to direct him so i'm sure clint eastwood maybe threw a couple of extra little bits in there that he maybe wasn't supposed to or because he's just so cool with his humor i think (laughs) no yeah i mean even that moment where like um the bit where you've got like bill carson like hanging out of the carriage and he's like dying and he's like tell me the information and he's like no i want water and he goes to go get water and you're kind of expecting that clint eastwood's probably got himself onto one of the horses and it's off (laughs) but he's not he's still hanging about because he's like oh what is this this looks juicy i want to just hang about and just hear what's to be said so when the ugly comes back and he's found out that um you know bill carson's told blondie the information that he's missing it's almost a bit of a laughing moment because you're like oh you need each other don't you 
<laughs> Even how that's done is genius as well because yeah. it goes to get the water and it, it goes to one of those extreme wide shots and the ugly looks back and all he sees is the fact that Clint Eastwood is beside this dying man and knows that he's got the information because from a distance because he just I think he just starts like shouting like oh, bastard or whatever you know and he, mm. he just has a fit of rage from a distance so he doesn't even need to he just knows that Clint Eastwood has got something now he needs yeah mm. um, Gary what's your third point my third point is just on the like the exciting incident and what that is because. I spoke about this many times on the podcast, so sorry. But the exciting incident usually happens like, you know, 10, 15 minutes into your standard film. And the exciting incident in this is the good, the bad and the ugly all find out that there is gold and they are going to go and find that. But that happens an hour and 11 minutes into this. So what is the, like, the film doing before it? And for me, what it was doing, it was taking an, a full hour to show the lives of these three people. And not a lot of films have the room to do that, to let, you know, to let their characters breathe. But their lives are so exciting that you don't mind spending that hour with it. But the whole hour you're wondering Mm -hmm. where it's going. So the hangings, the murders, like the double crossing, the bounty hunters, even even the two walks in the desert, like that's like standard life to these these men. And I think and it's in itself that's exciting that they can spend that amount of time with them and not feeling the urge go right we need to we need to let the audience know what this is actually about because you know? <laughs> if you read yeah. like obviously Rebecca at the start you read the synopsis and the synopsis says they all go after this money so what what is the first hour about is is the question and I think that's what it is it's just to go here yeah. here's here's the exciting lives of these three men and you're just going to enjoy that until we tell you what's this what this is actually about yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes you then care about those three characters, doesn't it? By the time it gets yeah. to that climatic moment, I guess, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I fully, 100% agree with that, Gary, yeah. So, like, the beginning as well. So we're establishing, like, the characters and the relationships, like you said. But I remember, like, watching it, like, for like from the very first time all the way through, I was going, well, the, the ugly can't die because... The ugly can't die right now because <laughs> we've got another few hours left. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, why would it be called the the good, the bad, and the ugly if the ugly has you know he's pan breed like mm. half an hour in like <laughs> there's yeah yeah the other thing that I found interesting was you knew there was going to be a certain point where one of them was going to have to give the other one their information to survive whatever it be and yeah. that happens at the bridge when they're they're setting up the bridge to explode and Tuchel basically says like one of us could die right here and. Uh, the other one's going to not get the money and so Blondie then gives him the name that's um, on the gravestone but then I got annoyed at the end when it wasn't the right gravestone because I kind of felt cheated because I wanted I wanted them to put their trust in each other finally and I was like okay we're, we're getting to the end of this film someone is going to have to trust the other and right up to the last second they don't and I, that's just something I did want but Maybe that's me comparing it to, you know, your more standard form of filmmaking and storytelling. But then yeah. remember, the ugly was very quick to grab that horse and bolt off. And you wouldn't have got that exciting scene, and I do get that, and I didn't expect the ugly that they could be trusted, but you just, like, yeah. you wanted it. <laughs> I think as well, like, there is a lot of, coming back to, you know, the three different types of character, 
the good is very much trying to teach the ugly some lessons of like here's a taste of your own medicine here um what's your final point ellis i think i have to bring up the i know we've mentioned it the many elephant times, in the room but yeah the, <laughs> the final scene the the mexican standoff the if you, if you want to call it that between the three title characters i mean it goes on for an excruciatingly long <laughs> time like it's yeah. so long but it's like the flick of an eyebrow or like movement of a finger around their holster whatever it is just every little movement you're like you're just waiting for it to happen and the way the music builds as well you're like we've still got a while to go here the music's still building but actually it does cut in when you don't expect it it's still you're not expecting it to happen and I think it's great because often the trope is two people tee up for a Mexican standoff and then almost one person shoots straight away whereas in this they do just stretch it out for ages and ages and ages and I think it's a testament to all three of their acting. I mean, they're, they're, they're all brilliant in this. Um, and I do actually want to seek it out without, I, I guess not without the overdub, but I want to see what the original yeah. release was like, the non-US release, see what how it all sounded, what it, I don't know, it might not be that different, um, but watch it with subtitles and see if, if, if what's different about it. But their performances are so good. I mean, most notably Clint Eastwood when he's covered in the sand, when Tuco's kind of torturing that scene we were talking about a moment ago. And he's rolling in the sand and there's an amazing shot where he lays on his back and the sun just like gleams from behind him. And it's so, that shot is such a like, almost a modern day, it could be taken from modern day cinema. It's so, so good. Yeah. And it's his performance as well at the, <clears throat> at the forefront of it. Um, and I think all of them have moments like that throughout that then when you get to this bit, you know who they are, you know what they're about. So it's so simple, so easy. Um, and in the end, I think you know the outcome. Even if you're watching it for the first time, you know the good's going to get away. You know he's going to be good. But I love the added touch that Tuco's got the money in front of him and he's just looking at it and it's just there sitting and he thinks he's going to die. And mm. I, yeah, I just think that whole that whole sequence is top notch. I was just gonna say the whole like play on tension, so that moment of it like lingering, lingering, and you're like, who's gonna go first? Like, who's, mm. you know, who's gonna cave? We'll get that element of tension all the way through, but like that is the biggest payoff, isn't it? Like at the yeah. very first scene with the ugly when he kind of like approaches that abandoned kind of town, I think it is. Yeah, and yeah. There's those people that have been the other bounty hunters, I'm presuming, have been sent to get him. You're like, oh, what's gonna happen here? Who, who's with who? Like, there's a lot of moments of tension, but that one at the end is the biggest and the, the most juiciest and the biggest payoff. Yeah, and there's like a twenty second wide shot of, the three of them just getting into position, that is just so like yeah. th that builds more than anything else I think almost because, you see in the distance between them and you're like, okay, it's gonna go down here, like it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna kick yeah. off. Yeah, that shot is like perfect framing with it. It's it's, it's like white stones, isn't it? It's like a yeah, circle, yeah, yeah. and they all just step back, and each of the feet step at the same time, and it builds mm -hmm. this like really interesting pattern as they widen out. Um, I totally agree that it, it's interesting, as you said, that you knew the good was going to get away, and mm. therefore, I think that's why they can build so long because you think you know how this is going to go down so they build on that to the point where you're like oh come on somebody fire somebody fire and then the reveal is that he's took took those bullets yeah yeah and that is 
probably more interesting than just a shootout. So they can mm-hmm. build, they know that that's going to pay off, that it's not going to be your standard shout. So they're like, we're just going to keep this going and going and going until you think you know what's coming and then we're going to surprise you. And it's also a confidence thing, I think, from Clint Eastwood's character that he knows the outcome. He knows more than anyone else. He knows he can beat the bad in this shootout, I think. I think he's confident that he can and he he knows that he, obviously, he's taken the bullets out of, out of Tuco's gun. I think it was on this time watching it, I actually noticed an influence. And again, I might be overthinking, but it really reminded me of Avengers Endgame in a certain moment when you have Iron Man, Thor and Captain America. I won't spoil anything, but you have those (laughs) three characters and they don't say anything necessarily about what they have to do or what needs to be done. They just know it's going to happen. It's a very different tone, obviously, with what's happening with there. With, but the way they walk, again, like you say, Gary, the way they all kind of walk together, it's they like spread out. There's this open. Exactly, it is. It's like a dance. It's like a routine. Um, and it was interesting watching it this time, thinking, I wonder if maybe the Russo brothers took influence from this scene because the way it mm. all played out and was set up, I thought was very, very similar. Actually, um, almost just because of the lack of dialogue when they actually do walk, and it's just we know what's going to happen they know what's going to happen let's just do it yeah. yeah i think clint eastwood's got a really interesting career because this mm-hmm. essentially is his this epitomizes his career this is his yeah. in my opinion his best work it's his most iconic role but he's like been making films still for years and years and years since like you know i mean i know he's turned more to directing now um but I think it's really interesting the choices he's made on the roles he's played. So his directing aside, his acting choice are really interesting because I read that he'd been, he's, he was offered the role of Superman, James Bond, and there was someone else as well. Superman and James Bond were the two that stuck out and he turned them down. And it's like he could have, again, been associated with that and maybe the good, the bad and the ugly would have fallen into the background if he'd yeah. have been known as this. But because this is his most iconic role i think it makes this scene um because that is the look isn't it the look that we associate with clint eastwood is from this scene um mm-hmm. but then again in in whole this film is associated with clint eastwood because of mm-hmm. those reasons i think it's because it's his best absolutely yeah, yeah totally i don't agree. know as well like my mum um or my stepdad i can't remember which said that um shared a piece of trivia as well that clint eastwood was um one of the few people that was able to shoot with his eyes open. Yeah. So a lot I've of actors um, couldn't. So that's why from that film, there's quite a lot of close-ups on Clint Eastwood's like face and his yeah, eyes yeah. because he always kept them open. And I was mm. like, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I, we're just sharing trivia now, I think, because I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I saw a thing that his poncho that he wears never got washed for the three films he did he still has it now and it's still never been washed and it's because they said to him if you wash this it will break apart and fall apart it's not to be washed um but he still has it (laughs) must be gross soft wash yeah yeah yeah, i found that interesting i know Mm. i've not seen the other two films so i don't really have trivia but i know there's um some skeptical questions about um where this fits in the timeline because this this is this is where he picks up the poncho. Yes, yeah. I know that it's a trilogy that people say you can watch in any order and it doesn't particularly matter because they're quite 
ambiguous about which order like you say gary which order mm. they this one actually fits into the story mm. um well, mm. so, so another reading that i heard of it that if you look at it as campfire stories about the same characters like so there's there's no real order like if you look at it it's yeah. just like campfire stories their journeys about, yeah I, I think that's quite an interesting way to do it after the first <laughs> two and a half hours it's like oh wait we're only on the second story um, <laughs> the campfire would be put out. Yeah, <laughs> everyone would have gone. Marshmallows home. would be gone. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think it's interesting that point, Gary. Actually, I've never, I'd never sat and thought about it like that. But it is, mm. it could be just three campfire stories, you know, that that people have come up with, and there isn't an order, there isn't a a story, a through narrative necessarily. Yeah. Well, my final point would be again, this is just something that I really like is the prop use. That bit where the good is loading the gun, the ugly's got like three kind of henchmen or whatever mm, <laughs> and yeah. to try and get him and like they're stepping to the beat and it's he's loading the gun like really, really slowly. Um, I, I just loved it. And again, trying back into that very final scene with the, the standoff, again, there's like little shots of the gun, like little twitches with the fingers and things. I just love those extra little details that um, were made with the props. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. I think if you get things like prop and costume right with a Western, I think it's a problem with Westerns that are made now. The cinematography yeah. and the, 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 well, yeah, more specifically the prop and costume use isn't quite all there. Yeah. Um, apart from with Quentin Tarantino, who, uh, <laughs> you know. Who, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a moment where he, he, um, where Tuco is in the gun shop, for instance, and that that hopeless, hopeless man that's just, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. sir, three bags full, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, where he's, he's looking at the guns and he's, like, listening to them and spinning them and everything again, like, just watching him like you're watching with yeah. the shop owner watching and just it's like what is bit. this guy doing it's mm. just so fascinating like the little details and how he holds it and stuff and you know picks the weapon of choice it's um yeah sure. Do you know what that reminded me of actually and again just talking about things being inspired um that scene in the original terminator film where Arnold Schwarzenegger goes into the gun shop and yeah. he's like just picking through yeah, all the guns yeah. and he's like who's a nine millimeter and he asked for like a plasma rifle and the wee shopkeeper's almost scared of him and he's like just what you see that's all we've got you know and it's funny yeah. just the, the similarities with more modern cinema i guess but you are right rebecca about the props and costume because as you said earlier the use of costume shows um character like mm-hmm. when you're talking about the difference in like how well-dressed Clint Eastwood is compared to like how filthy uh, the ugly is compared to how slick the bad is it's all those wee things and costumes and props do 100% add into that yeah mm. like the the ugly has his like on a string <laughs> like like a wheel yeah. but with like glasses on a string yeah, as if yeah. like you won't ever lose your glasses I like that the line after that is take your gun off Instead yeah. of <laughs> instead of give put your gun, your gun down or give me a gun, it's take your gun off as if he's wearing <laughs> it. Right? Wearing it like a garment. Yeah, it's yeah. so funny. Um, perfect. Well, does anyone have any other notes or maybe anything that they would like to change or didn't like about the film? One uh, other positive is I loved the makeup on Blondie's blisters from the sunburn. Oh, yeah. It mm. looked so painful and yeah. for the time as well, so, so well done. 
like I couldn't fault that at all. Yeah. I mean, just in general, the it's, I, I picked that one, that one from that scene out specifically when you've got the sun behind and it's him laying in the foreground. But all the the shots are just so I think ahead of their time. Really, they're mm-hmm. they're so inventive and interesting, and all the sort of chaos of the one in the cemetery when Tuco's running. Um, the mm-hmm. way that shot's done is so real, and you're in it, and it's like this is so I think quite forward thinking. So, yeah, just as a general note, I I just think it's the way that all the shots, the cinematography, everything we've spoken about, really, the performances, all mould it in to be this cinematic classic. And it's all it's all of these things that have then yeah. made it why I picked it, really, is because mm-hmm. it just feels so perfect. I guess one of the things that um, took me out of it a few times was just like the dubbing over where it didn't really tie in with how their mouths were moving um mm. it didn't yeah. sound like it was sound right there and then <laughs> um it sounded like it did come from like a studio so i suppose that was one of the things that I suppose has become quite um maybe dated in a sense i watched the original django recently and that is the overdubbing really takes you out of it really like yeah. you're like oh god it's really really forced over the top i, yeah. I quite liked it in a way because it made it feel, to me, it made it feel even older, like even more of a classic, you mm-hmm. know, like things like, because now everything is perfectly synced and for me it just gave it that rawness again of an old classic film. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, yeah. Has anyone's final ratings changed at all? I'll go up to an 8.5. <gasps> I'll go up Whoa. a wee point five there, yeah. If that's the um, case, I'll go up to a 10.5. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm quite happy and comfortable with my name, to be honest, but I now really want to watch it again, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'll message and see if it's changed. Yeah. We're going to take a little break, and when we return, we will be back with a quiz, our fun fact of the day, and also our short film recommendations. I've been looking for you for eight months. Whenever I should have had a gun in my right hand, I thought of you. Now I find you in exactly the position that suits me. I had lots of time to learn how to shoot with my left. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. And we're back with our quickfire quiz round. Gary and I will ask Ellis five questions each based Uh-oh. on the film. You look very nervous, Ellis. <laughs> well, I've been talking the talk about this film the whole time, and now, <laughs> now I'm not so confident. It will be fine, and it's just for fun. Um, I'll go first. What name did the good give when he said the treasure was hidden? This is terrible. I've fallen at the first hurdle. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. No. <laughs> I've completely forgotten. Arch Stanton. Damn. Yep, okay. <laughs> okay, so what is the name on the gravestone where the money is actually buried? Oh, there is no name. There is no name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was overthinking. I was like, wait. What? what was the good's nickname? Blondie. Yeah. Out of the good, the bad and the ugly, who is the first to appear on screen? Well, I know the ugly, his his title card appears first, so I'll go with the ugly. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who is Angel Eyes? Angel Eyes is the bad. Is that yes. the, yeah? That's yeah. Okay, cool. What was the name that Bill Carson was using before Bill Carson? Again, I'm not sure on that one. It is Jackson. Oh yes, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Damn, yeah, okay. How does the ugly get his handcuffs off? Uh, he the train runs him over and he he's set free. How much is the first bounty on Tuko's head at the start? Um, is it two thousand dollars? Yes. Yes. What are the names of the other two films as part of the Dollars trilogy? So there's a fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more. Correct. What is the name of the cemetery that the trio are trying to reach? I'll give you a clue. It's on a hill. (laughs) Ah, yeah. I can't remember what the the word is. Um, It makes me very unhappy that you don't know. It makes me very unhappy that I don't know. I'm uh, giving you a clue there. <laughs> oh. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, it's Sad Hill Cemetery. Sad Hill, Sad Hill. <laughs> I was thinking, is it like... I, I was thinking Bad Hill, and I was like, it can't be Bad Hill, because there's the bad. And Ah, oh, damn. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't too bad. That was good. Yeah. How many was it? You got Yeah, you got three out of five in mine. Yeah, you got four of mine, so... Oh, so seven. Seven? That's pretty good. I said in my head I'd be happy with seven out of ten, so there we go. Oh, there we are. Seven. (laughs) So now we are moving on to our fun facts of the day. Gary, what's your fun fact of the day? So I believe this fact is just for the UK, um, but you actually can't send party poppers in the post as technically they have explosives in them. Oh, so um, we actually found this out during um, lockdown because we had some left in the house and it was one of our friend's birthday. So we were going to like send like a box of gifts with like party poppers and stuff. And yeah, you can't send party poppers in, in the post in case because it's technically explosives. I think I need to retract a, a parcel that I've just sent out. my fun fact of the day is only five percent of the ocean has been explored which i kind of knew already but it still just blows my mind yeah it's madness that it's weird because there'll be so much like there'll be so many living things down there that nobody knows about yeah yeah crazy absolutely because it says here the ocean covers some of 70 percent of the earth's surface and it's understandably much harder to explore than land. As much as 20% of the ocean floor has now been mapped. Crazy. It's quite crazy, isn't it? What is down there? Ellis, what's your fun fact? Well, I wanted to go with something on on topic. So I've gone with a horse-based <laughs> fact. Ooh. And it's that despite the fact that horses are classed still as an on-road vehicle, you cannot take, you cannot ride on horseback through a McDonald's drive through they will turn you away. <laughs> was there not an advert once where someone was going through a drive See, through I on a horse? I seem to remember this as well. And but yeah, I look, I d- double cross checked everything, and yeah, they legally they should turn you away. You can't go through a, a drive through on horseback. So again, that Aww. butchers my plans for later. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask, were you talking from experience there? But... <laughs> Unfortunately not. I, I use donkey just to swerve the... the yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
Lovely. And just to round off the show, we're now going to share some short film recommendations that we've watched online. Um, Gary, what's your short film? Yep, so mine is called She Knows and it's a horror film. It is about a young man who's dealing with psychological traumas after he has done something that he shouldn't have. And I'm just going to leave it at that because it's, it's not that long and if I start like going into detail then I'll just ruin it so yeah she knows uh, and it's on YouTube uh, Alice what's your short film um, mine is I mentioned earlier about maybe picking Finding Nemo um, so I thought well I'll go for a Pixar short film then yeah. so I've gone for my arguably my favourite Pixar short The Blue Umbrella which Aww, premiered like before one. Monsters University I think and mm-hmm. I just think the, A the soundtrack is incredible like the score for it is incredible um it's so relaxing and calming but also the story just it's about two umbrellas that are in love and it's the most random concept but it's so simple and so brilliant and it's like all the photorealistic lighting that's used the shadow effects like it yeah it's just brilliant i mean pixar seems to be the place to be as well have you seen their cereal bar they have a cereal bar that stretches the length of their like canteen it's incredible um, just for all the staff to use as and when um, they have models <laughs> whenever they everywhere, fancy. whenever they fancy, bowl of Cocoa Pops. Um, yeah, I mean, it just looks like a great place to work, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so much fun. It's like the the animation um, version of Google. Yeah. yeah. Like I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, Google are quite like that as well, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, I'm so hungry. Let's stop talking. I'm going to get some food. cereal. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go and have my roast beef with a side of Cocoa Pops. On a horse uh, as well. <laughs> on a horse, yeah. Um, well, my short film recommendation is called Miscreant. And that is on YouTube. And apparently it was one of the best short films of 2019, which I understand after watching it. But... um. Yeah, a bit of good cop and bad cop in that. Um, and yeah, it's an interview with a murder suspect. And it's very tense and dark and just, again, some really strong performances. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah. Well, Ellis, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. It's been... A- I could talk to you to all day about not <laughs> just this film, I'm sure, but loads of films, yeah. For yeah. another... An hour and a half, I'd say, <laughs> just so we tie in with the length of the film. Definitely, but, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I've really loved um, chatting about the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and keep up to date with all of your projects and your podcast as well, if that's sure. okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you can find us wherever you stream your pods and talk about with Ellis and Gwillem. And if you want to follow us, we're on Instagram, and Facebook, I believe, Focus Film Movies, we're called under there, which is the blog name. You'll find that on Instagram, that uh, Focus Film Movies. And then on Twitter, we're at talkabout underscore pod. So, yeah, that, that's about it, I think. Smash nice. Nice. And I can highly recommend uh, the podcast as well. I've oh, thank you. I've a good few episodes and it is well worth the listen. So, subscribe. Thanks a bunch. Aww. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and I'm Rebecca Riddle. I don't want to say still Rebecca because that's Gary's thing. I'm Rebecca and you can follow me on Instagram at RiddleRebecca and on Twitter at RiddleR. I'm Gary and you can find me at <laughs> Pro on Twitter and Instagram. No still Gary? 
I just thought I'd do it to annoy you. (laughs) (laughs) And if you enjoyed this episode or the podcast in general, please like, subscribe and share. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also leave your comments and let us know your thoughts on the films at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com. You can also follow the podcast at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film Podcast on Instagram. You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us next week for our discussion on What's Up Doc. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Bye.